You are listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I am your host, Eric Williams, and today we are discussing another Akira Kurosawa-directed film starring Toshiro Mifune. It is 1957's Throne of Blood, and here to discuss the film with me is returning guest, Mr. Ben Teed. Hello, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Before getting into our discussion, I should mention that this podcast is still brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. And we also we are also sponsored by Audible. For you, the listeners of the Plain Label Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check them out. For this episode, our Audible recommendation is the classic BBC radio versions of the following Shakespearean plays, Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, and Hamlet. This audiobook, these three plays together was performed by Paul Schofield, Peggy Ashcroft, as well as this guy you may know named Ian McKellen. The audiobook is over seven hours long, and it retails for over $20, but it can be yours for free. And Audible says about this little audio collection, kind of an audiobook, I'm calling it an audiobook because it's easier than saying an Audible audio collection. These three powerful radio productions from the BBC archive starring Ian McKellen, Ronald Pickup, and Paul Schofield, and a host of celebrated acting talent. These three legendary plays, performed by some of the best-known theatrical actors of the 20th century, are the perfect way to commemorate England's greatest dramatists. And Macbeth specifically, which we'll get into why, the notorious Scottish play is a gripping tale of vaunting ambition, witchcraft, madness, and murder that has kept generations of audiences spellbound. First broadcast in 1966, starring Paul Schofield as Macbeth and Peggy Ashcroft as Lady Macbeth. Recorded at BBC Broadcasting House and featuring the BBC Drama Repertory Company, with specially composed music, including a score from the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. This is a classic radio drama at its finest. It is over seven and a half hours long, like I said, and you can get that for free. Just go to audibletrial.com slash plain label. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash plain label for your free audio book. So, Ben, that was a mouthful for me. Let's talk about <laughs> why it was such a mouthful. Let's talk about what we are drinking this eve. Yes. Why don't you go ahead? That sound? <laughs> was... A little a little foley action in there for me. A I like foley it. Foley action. Yes. <laughs> that is I've never had this before. I'm going to try this for the first time. It is called Sapporo and it is Japan's oldest brewery. Since 1876, so um, yeah, this is uh, this is the Japanese beer Sapporo. I'm, I'm sure it's very, very different than the way it was back then. But uh, <laughs> you know, I wonder I, as when I was buying this because it's in the 40s section, like when you wherever you buy like the plastic bottle. Oh, the, the classy section. Yes. Like this is yeah, this is a very tall bottle <laughs> or very tall. Excuse me, very tall can um, and uh, of Sapporo. And it made me wonder if uh, maybe uh, Kurosawa, if he was a drinker, mm. uh, if he'd ever had any. I don't know. Uh, he don't, seems like know. a sake guy to me. Yeah, that makes sense. But like for a beer, a, J- a Japanese <laughs> beer that's been around for a while, um, I'm going to give it a try. So. All right. Well, let's, what about let's, you? Let's, let's, uh, let's do this on uh, 
on uh, film or what? Uh, what the hell would I even call this? Let's do it live on the, on the tape. Live to tape. To, live to tape. It's very. It's very multi. It's very. It tastes. It it tastes like a forty. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I can see why it was in that section. But it's good. It it tastes like a beer. I mean, it's. I mean, of course, but that's really. Funny. There's nothing really Japanesey <laughs> about it. The design is is. I love the can style. It's very sleek, and I don't know if you've seen them. No, I yeah, haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, it's a real sleek, like, uh, uh, metally can. Like, there's not a lot of detail on the cover. It's a, just a big star, and it just says Sapporo. Huh? So, yeah, interesting. Japanese. Interesting. I had to go with a theme. Yeah, you do have a good theme. I have a lousy theme. I have zero theme. I'm, <laughs> I'm having um, this little concoction, and I don't know. This could be a completely common thing, but I always thought it was really strange until my wife is sort of it's like well i'm making this do you want one or do you want to make your own thing and i'm like well you can just make me one that's seems <laughs> easiest but uh it's a little bit of brute champagne so it's a little drier champagne and then it is uh some, just some vodka in it Ooh. so it's like a little good. double whammy kind of a thing so it's not quite as sweet as just plain champagne can be and it's not just a regular vodka drink. So I had that earlier while we were chit-chatting. And then while we were chit-chatting, I have been brought in a new beverage. And it appears to be just a vodka and a uh, sparkling water is what I'm getting. Go Ooh, ahead nice. and guess that that is. So that's kind of our <laughs> our typical. Uh, it's not LaCroix because we went with uh, some local stuff. It's like, you know, the 20. It's like the nicer stuff or it's about 20 cents more. But it's, you know, top shelf. And it's, uh, it's, it tastes a little less like chemicals, you know, the, uh, yeah, the flavored yeah. water. So, so that's what we're going with. Um, I wish I had a theme. I, I feel, I always feel bad when I don't have a theme or, or at least I feel like I'm not like Rachel who at the time of recording, um, she just got done with her latest whole 30. And so we had a few episodes there where she was just having water. So that was, that was disappointing. Like, a break. Yeah, it, was, a break. it was disappointing. It wasn't nearly as rowdy as a conversation. I mean, everyone was a lot more, more coherent. There was no emotions on the table. It was, uh, it was no good. That's what I'm saying. Oh. So, oh. so there you go. So, uh, <laughs> so with that, I think we're ready to get to our film. It is from 1957. It is Akira Kurosawa's Throne of Blood.
権力の座その権力の座を争う者そしてそれを血であがなった者の末路は血で血を洗う戦国絵巻そしてまたここに権力に疲れ血に狂う女殿の行く道はただ二つじっとこのまま大殿に斬られるのを待つ大殿を殺して雲の素性の主になるか主君を殺し殺しまた友を殺しシュラモー州の果てに狂い死にした蜘蛛の巣城主鷲津武時の怪奇な一生。synopsis and bear with me goes like this after securing a major victory on the battlefield washizu uh, i'm gonna struggle with it ben and one of his commanders miki find themselves lost in the maze-like spider webs forest spider's web forest they come across a spirit-like seer who tells them of their future both have been promoted because of their victory that day washizu will someday be the great lord of the spider's web castle while miki's son will someday rule as great lord as well when they arrive at the castle they learn that the first part of the prophecy is correct washizu has no desire to become great lord but this but his ambitious wife encourages him to reconsider When the current great lord makes a surprise visit to his garrison outpost, Washizu is again promoted to commander of his vanguard, but his wife reminds him of the danger that comes with the position. As pressure mounts, Washizu takes final action, leading to its inevitable conclusion. So hopefully people can track that. Uh, if, you know, if anyone is kind of a Shakespearean nerd and there's a reason why I had the, the Macbeth thing in there, like it is, Kurosawa's version of Macbeth. So it is the general that has the very eager wife and they sort of take over and then it doesn't work out the way that they hoped it would work out. It's I mean, so perfect too. It fits so well. Does it not fit perfectly? I mean, well, and then you got, you know, Macbeth takes place in medieval Scotland. Yes. And of course, with this being medieval Japan, 
or at least feudalistic Japan, like how perfect is that that it that it just you just overlay it over top of it and yeah. pretty much just take out all of the poetry and you pretty much and then like you know throw in Mafune as always and it's it's just a really good retelling of that story. In fact, probably I think it. I want to say I read somewhere. You know, I I I. I watched this one a little while ago, so I, I did some reading around the time that I watched it. I, I believe this is the first time in Asia that any Shakespeare had been adapted, mm. you know, to, to anything, let alone like the like a play or like they have the the no theater. Yeah, the, yeah, the no theater. Sure. That when I used to teach a drama, that was um, we didn't get into the no. I mean, we just talked about it in general. But yeah, with that with that being so dominant in that culture, I can believe that Shakespeare wasn't a big, uh, a huge traditional influence, right? And and just making that switch is, I mean, it's just perfect. And we got, uh, I'll just go ahead and say we got a perfect film out of it. I <laughs> I really really, it's another one. It's another win for me. It's going to be probably really hard to find a bad Kurosawa film for me. Well, we got um, we have two left point. after this. So yeah, we'll see. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to, uh, and I am really looking. All right, Eric, I'm really looking for problems. <laughs> <laughs> I really shouldn't be because I should be enjoying these, and I am. But man, like I just, it's hard. It's hard to believe because the the mixture is so is so perfect. But there there's uh, certain liberties taken in this telling that make it just that much more. Um, creepy and uh, what what else do I want to say? Like, it's just like the stakes just got so much higher for some reason. Like I've read Macbeth in school, and we I think we even performed it in class. Like we assigned. Oh, you uh, you casted it out and everything. Yeah, we cast nice. it out in the in the class. I forget who I played, but um, it's been so long ago. But I would but, yeah. I would love to do that in school if I had strong enough readers to do that. Yeah. Oh, we were in like the yeah. I got put in, in the, the advanced the, kids, probably the stuff. higher yeah, the advanced stuff. So we were a, a bunch of those were crossover in the theater kids. So we were all about it. <laughs> so so if that surprises anybody at all, <laughs> um, so we were excited to kind of go through that. But it was one of those things that I never really like. Maybe was given an assignment in order to like. You know, if you were to recast this today or remake it, you know, and that was always a fun assignment, but like, that's exactly what, uh, Kurosawa was doing here. And he takes his, his, his greatest muse, uh, Mifune, mm-hmm. and places another, uh, facial expression on him and just has mm-hmm. him wear it throughout the entire film. You know, again, I will get into this a little bit later, but I was so surprised by the choices that the two of these people made. With Kurosawa and Mifune working together again, and the way that they decided to portray this character, especially toward the end, I was shocked at the direction that they went. But before I get into that... I'm so excited. <laughs> I will say that um, I loved it. I like. I was, I was so happy with this movie. And I think that the only thing that it made me feel was... And I think that this is also, um, you know, if people know us personally, <laughs> this is also maybe the time in the, in my life when I watched it, I was like, God damn, like, how could I ever envision myself creating something like this? Like, it was intimidating watching it, right? Because 
one of the things I guess I don't know that I broadcast this too much, but I would love to be the person that adapts things and like transitions oh, yeah. them from either novel to screen or from comic to screen or from whatever to whatever. And that's something that I've just done just to toy around with just for fun for me. Yeah. And, and that's something where I watched this and was like, holy shit, like this is how you do it. Like you, you leave some touchstones there, but you don't completely change all, you know, you don't change everything, but you don't stick to where it's like, oh, here comes this beat. Oh, here comes this. And I bet you she's going to say these specific lines. You know, you change it some to where it fits the world that you're in, but it's still the general, like the bones are still there. And I was just, I was like, this is, this is awesome. So I was, I was really happy with it. You're, you're totally right about the, about keeping certain things in there. But I think I, I want to say specific, there were specific things in here that were turned up a little bit higher Mm. that just made it that much more. I don't know, like, like uh, Macbeth's kind of a creepy story with with the you know with the murders and the going mad and and stuff like that. And I believe there are ghosts, of course. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But like this one, um, you you're giving it to a director that is able to spell out like in visual like the the poetry from the from the play is translated into poetry of like the vis the visuals, mm. um, like opening with the fog and like. I think I think the actual it's it's called Thro- Throne of Blood here in, in in the states, but I think it's Spiderweb Castle. Spiderweb Castle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, <laughs> that's a great title too. <laughs> so, uh, and then of course um, the the character that is supposed to be the the analog to the Three Witches is the Spirit of the Spider's Web. Oh, and she's and, amazing. I I was and, so yeah. spellbound with the way that she looked and and the way that she spoke. I was like, holy hell! It like, has to be one of my favorite visuals of the film is when the two when Macbeth and Macduff are or uh, uh, oh my gosh, we're gonna we're gonna we <laughs> and, and and Miki. Yes, <laughs> they're standing there, uh, and they're they're like standing there before you know the uh, the spirit mm-hmm. and and like. Not believing their eyes, but at the same time skeptical. They're not sure what to think at first, you know. I mean, there's a whole, even just that one scene, there, there's just all these shades of doubt and, mm-hmm. uh, fear and all this stuff like that. All, it's like, it's, of course, it's, it's because it's Shakespeare, actors can really just chew into that so well and, and be able to, to, to bring out, um, you know, each, each performance with a, with it, with, the thing is, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that I watch, and I gotta stop doing this sometimes, especially when I'm watching probably a little bit le- lesser type of, and, and not lesser, but like, it's important that a lot of the times when you're watching something that's a little bit more dramatic, that you find what a character wants. Mm-hmm. It, motivation, and, and I kind of do this in life too, I try to figure out that type of stuff with people in life, like why people make decisions, why does, why does my uncle say this? Why did my cousin say this? Why does the president say that? What do they want? You know, what, what, what are they trying to get? Why say stuff and why get out of, what, what are they trying to get out of the other characters? And so, like, it's interesting that everything in a, in a, uh, Shakespeare play is accounted for, obviously, because he's, you know, the master of drama and stuff like that, but the ability to have the, like, each character has its own like thing to do, mm-hmm. even if that motivation isn't entirely clear. Like I would be willing to bet 
that they like the specific choices that Isuzu Yamada as uh Washizu's wife, Saji. Uh-huh. Um I would say they're like the way she plays Lady Macbeth in this is almost like she, you could you could there's such a there's such a a similarity between her and the spirit in the mm. way that they kind of just stare straight ahead. And it makes me kind of think was Lady Macbeth always mad? Was she always this way? Or or is this only brought on because you know, Washizu finally saw the spirit and was able to, you know, or the three witches or whatever in the play. But like was this a curse? before or was this always going to happen you know it, it really kind of makes me think even just in the play you know depending on how you show it and and um kurosawa made his decision here to to let to like give this sort of um it's a it's it's very clear what she wants to do in the short term mm-hmm. but her overall game isn't entirely clear but it's but that doesn't mean that there's a hole left there in terms of like well you didn't give her enough motivation no it's like was she always crazy it, well, it makes yeah. me, it makes me wonder <laughs> i like that i like the fact that she is very short sighted you know she has her long game is basically they're just going to rule you know and it's like well and yes and like you know you're going to you're going to take over okay you know it's 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 like um it's, I don't know. It's just very short-sighted. Instead of having this sort of, we're gonna do A and then B and then C and then D. She's just kind of like, yeah, we're just gonna do A. That's my character because that, I'm not because I'm, I'm not deep enough to think about anything else. That's what I'm wondering if that's not Washizu's motivation. He, yeah, he he's scared because he thinks he's gonna get taken out if he doesn't. And if I don't move ahead and take out our king or or uh, uh, Suzaki. Mm-hmm. Um, King Duncan, pretty much. Like, <laughs> if if uh, if I don't take out this character or take out our king, like the other person's gonna do it, and they're gonna kill me in order to get up there. And so Lady Macbeth is like, we need to do it. We need to hit them before they do it. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, it's so like even down to the. I mean, it's pins and needles during the the murder scenes because mm-hmm. like Macbeth or. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Macbeth slash Mifune slash Washizu. <laughs> just, just MWM. <laughs> you know, the abbreviation for that. Uh, like, is compelled, it, it, like, it's suddenly, like, almost like he's, he's possess, a man possessed going out to do it and then ultimately can't. Mm-hmm. And so Asaji goes out and does it herself. Mm-hmm. And actually, and actually does, and she's got, like, oh, the blood scene. Oh, it's so good. Oh, so you mean you talking about where silent. she's trying to keep cleaning her hands? That that scene? Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is great. One of the things that uh, I wanted to make sure and mention toward the beginning is I I was really struck at, um, you know, and I, this is one of those things where I conscience I consciously am aware of it, but I was really struck in this film how valued these messengers were. In this, like, in this society, because they're going and they're saying, go off and tell this other, uh, this other town or whatever you want to call it, or this other castle that this is what's going on over here. And they just had these messengers in these long times where they, they would run back to, you know, they would run back to the great lord and say, oh, this, 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 this is how the battle's going. And they're like, oh, great. And then someone else would show up. 
And I was like, God damn, these mess, these messengers were just so important as to their truthfulness and their like loyalty and their honor. It was just one of the things that they took a little bit more time than they could have. And I feel like in modern day they would have that. I don't know. It was just, it was just like a nice touch of, no, this is how this world would have been. Like it wouldn't have been, Oh, I read it on Twitter and this is how things are now. You know, it, it would have time. Yeah. It would have yeah. taken a while. And at that beginning, I thought we had, we had basically, I wrote and what an entrance from Mifune, an applause entrance. So it's like he comes in and I can imagine the crowd being like, Oh yes, here he is again. Here he is again. You know, it's Toshiro Mifune. It's Akira Kurosawa. Here's this group. Or here's this combo. And it was just one of those where, uh, every time I saw him on the, on the screen, I just felt like, I wasn't grinning like a fool, but I was sitting there just watching it like, hmm, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. <laughs> these guys know what, they know what's it's, up. Very early on in the first act, you just feel like, ah, like this is going to be in good hands. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, oh man, yeah. Well, and it was yeah. weird because it was weird with, after watching Akira, with that being such a different film, I didn't know what it was going to be like going back into a samurai type of a film. I was like, well, I don't know. You know, I stepped away from that world for a picture. Let's see how it's going to be diving back into it. And it, I don't know if I felt like relaxed and like, oh, okay, I'm, we are, we are in good hands. Or if I felt, um, I don't know. I just, it, it made me feel sort of at, at ease watching the movie because I knew you know, sort of the touchstones they were going to get to because I loved that, you know, the uh, the spirit or whatever we're calling her, where she basically sets up the plot for the rest of the film and you're like, hey, we're going to hit A and B and C. So we're just working our way to these different plot points. And I liked, I, I liked that setup. And I think that it's something that can seem very simplistic when you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, well, of course, it's these in these three acts and it's going to be one, two, and three, and this is what's going to happen. But to be able to be so blatant about here's where we're going and then to follow that and to have it not necessarily seem surprising but still seem intense and still seem like, oh, is he actually going to kill him? Is he going to do it? You know, and that sort of thing. Like you're on your edge of your seat still, even though you know where the story is going generally. I think is yeah, those, you know, another... those beats that that come through in the play happen happen so I don't know. There's just an extra step that's taken or something. I don't know. Like even the part where we talked about with her because that happens in the in the play as well. Like she's trying to wash her hands, she can't get the blood off. Yeah. Like and and the creepiness of her posture and how she just kind of stares catatonically and and it's just kind of like not moving and, and how it echoes from the the spider spirit uh and whatnot but um but that also it's 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 uh perfectly filtered through a kurosawa lens because it's uh it, it reminds me of the ghost in like rashomon which is oh, one, of the yeah, cre- yeah. one of the creepiest moments i've ever first of all i've ever seen a film but i've ever seen in, in any of his films so far it like was echoing that and like, of course, he takes a scene like that and is able to put his own spin on it. Like, there's just certain things about it. There's little fingerprints of Kurosawa that are here that aren't entirely. I mean, all obviously most of the most, if not all of the plot 
is of course, you know, drawn from, uh, Shakespeare, but, but also like, like just seeing the royalty and, and the first act of them walking in, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, oh gosh, it was, uh, Washizu and did you say it was Miki? Miki. They yeah. Walk- yeah. Okay. Yeah. They were walking up and they get their orders from the king and they get, you know, they, and it's just as the prophecy said, or the prophecy that just as the, the, the witch, you know, the spirit or whatever says, and, and they just kind of like give each other this knowing look, or they both have, it's spelled out on their face, but, but also it's such a natural, uh, uh, glorious scene of like the armies lined up. It's just in the, like that scene could have taken place in a throne room. Mm-hmm. And it could have just been three characters and they, and the king could have decreed something and they would have walked out and it would have been a great, great scene. All acted perfectly. But with a Kira Kurosawa film, it is like tons of extras, groups mm. of people all lined up and it's at nighttime and there's smoke and there's fire and it's this very, and it's like almost like not perfectly uh, centered. It's almost like asymmetrical in a way. Like it's, it's almost like a diagonal type of lineup and they go up and they speak to the king and, and it's like, it's, th- there's something off about it. There's something imperfect, but the two characters are looking at each other like, you know, like this is really happening, you know? Yeah. Do you think that, Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I, th- I had that down too, that it, it does have the sort of um, planned imperfectness is, is to where it does seem like, you know, I, I wrote down that I thought the atmosphere was tremendous because it's, it's a great way to know, describe it. It's Macbeth, so it has to have good atmosphere, right? Like that's right. one of the things. But um, yeah, it just seemed like oh, we're just gonna have things a little off center. We're gonna have things a little bit mysterious for these guys and for the people watching. Is kind of what it it felt like to me. Like it was just a like a it wasn't quite. It didn't. It certainly didn't come across as a mistake or anything like that. It seemed like this is what we're doing. This is the choice we're making. So, right. What were you gonna ask? Um, I was gonna ask. Do you think there's any significance to their banners? I think uh, I think Mifune's or Washizu's has a centipede, like a like a long. That's what it looks like is a centipede. Hmm. I forget what I forget what Miki has on his, but I wonder. I, I wonder if there was a significance to the choices of visuals on on the characters' well, uh, banners, like a little banner that they carry, like on their Almost like in a backpack or something, or I guess I, don't know. I, don't... I guess I don't know the answer to that um, just off the top. But I would ask you: Do you think that Akira Kurosawa would not intentionally have a meaning behind it? Yeah, of course not. Like, you know, I, like I guess, it, I guess I'm sure it's kind it, means, of a... it means something, but I haven't done enough reading about the about the production to know, or about you know interviews from him to know exactly what what the significance was for him. If it's even said, yeah. Yeah, but I would imagine that, I wouldn't think that he's just like, ah, oh, send a PDF, I could whatever. You know, I, I wouldn't imagine he he would be saying that. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of things like that that, that uh, you know, it would take a few different watches for me to to even notice because I didn't even notice what the what the banner was. So, I don't know. Um, I know that we've mentioned her quite a bit, but I did, <laughs> I did want to reiterate that I thought that the wife, I thought she was awesome. Like I think that sometimes in Kurosawa films, Mafune gets, you know, a lot of the attention, and rightfully, sh- rightfully so most of the time. 
But in this one, I think that she is great. And I think that she is so overwhelmingly manic, I guess, is the way that I'll describe her. But she is just, like, so screechy and, like, um, she's kind of, like, dominating him with her voice rather than, like, her physicality. And that was something that I thought was was interesting for this film. Because, you know, this is... This is Toshiro Mifune. This is, he should be, you know, we talked about in our previous recordings, we talked about how he would have been a tremendous Wolverine type character, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, he, he's normally the more animated. He has like the, the when I say loudest, I don't necessarily mean volume. I, I, I'm talking about loudest performances and he's usually the one that's m- moving the most, mm-hmm. the most physical his face is the one that's going all over the place especially in this film where he's screaming and surprised and angry and scared and everything Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so i thought that it was interesting to me to where he was sort of um i guess put in his place a little bit by this woman just by the way that she would speak to him or the way that she would direct him or sort of course correct him and it just seemed like that was more of an emphasis in this film than in some of the others that I can think of off the top of my head that we've discussed. Um, it was just, I don't know, I just thought that she was really good. And and so when we do have that sequence where she's trying to wash off the blood and, and that kind of thing, it, it makes it even more powerful for me because it's like, well, she's been able to basically create most of this, right? Like she's been the force behind a lot of these things that have happened and she's losing it. You know, and she's sort of uh, caving to this, the magnitude of her actions and that sort of thing. Uh, and that, go ahead. On that, I was going to say, and that must be why I, you know, because, you know, there's a feeling of, well, you know, she has a very similar movement style to uh, the witch. Yeah, in, she does. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. So I, I may, that's why it made me wonder, was she in this, in on this from the beginning? But it's almost like, She's possessed mm-hmm. for a time. Mm-hmm. She's she's almost uh she's almost uh possessed for most of the most of the film, and then given this uh, I don't know, like uh, gosh, what what would you call it? Like a once uh, once once the deed is done, now she's damaged. Uh-huh. Now she now she's trying to get like the, the block. Yeah, now, the spell is broken a little bit. It's, yeah, yeah, it's all gone from her now. Now that she's done the really bad thing. It's it's time for uh, the price to be paid, and of course the spirit will not be around for that. So right, yeah. But um, it's it's also cool, and in the the best part I think to me with this story, just in general, which is now I feel like at this point has become legend. Uh, <laughs> might as well have um, is uh, uh, obviously that deterioration of Lady Macbeth, but also the de- deterioration of Macbeth, like mm-hmm. Washizu, like slowly becoming more and more uh, uh i mean he's already corrupt but to a point where he is you know forcing his troops to be a certain way and and getting them to to comply and of course like i, I, I don't want to get into the ending right now just yet because i feel like there's a little bit more we can cover but that of course the last scene mm-hmm. uh or, or like the the scene leading up to the last scene um, where they, they are kind of preparing for an attack or preparing for a battle that I'm sure most of them are looking at each other like, 
I'm not doing this. This is, this is madness. <laughs> this is crazy. Like we're not going to be able to take all this on. And of course this madman who is, is, is mad now. I mean, he's, I mean, this is a point where Macbeth has gone past the point of no return. I mean, I would say that even when he'd commit the murder. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's, he's screaming his head off and stuff like that. And of course, ultimately, Oh, but, um, the other great part of that scene and, and the leading up to it, Partially is from, um, uh, another thing that is a, is a, uh, I don't know, I have no idea if this is in the play. I don't remember it if it is, but the moving trees. Mm, I'm gonna have yeah, nightmares. Yeah, the moving trees. That was crazy. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna have nightmares forever on these moving trees because it, the idea of it isn't, I mean, I don't know. It's not necessarily that scary if I were to describe it to someone. But being completely cut out, I mean, for someone who's listening to this who hasn't watched it, like, I'm pretty much spoiling a really good part because it doesn't seem that scary, but put into practice and show, and telling you about it isn't, isn't necessarily, I mean, this isn't, it's not going to freak anybody out if I describe it. Sure. But yeah, the yeah. way that it played out was such a surprise to me that it cut, you know, cut, caught me off guard. And I just, and the way that, uh, Mufune reacts to it and, and is, you know, very scared. It's almost scarier than all the troops turning on him. You know, the fact that, like, it's almost, because at this point he's willing to believe anything at this point and, and he's, he's moving through all of these, uh, different scenarios where he's the victor in this outcome, but, you know, the water's climbing and he's closer and closer to sinking and, um, this is like the, it's almost like the last throws of a, of a, of a person that's falling. Uh, he, he is willing to believe that something supernatural is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could, uh, I could not believe the way that they pulled that off because they, they're talking about these trees the, when the trees move or you'll only be, you know, defeated when the trees move and that kind of stuff. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, how are they going to pull this off? Like, how is this going to look in this time frame in the late fifties? And, when they were showing the people, you know, being the trees and moving the trees and moving the forest and all that stuff, I was like, holy hell, like that looks great. Like I was, I was very distracted by how good it looked. And I was like, what in the world are they doing here? Like this looks, this looks tremendous. So it's like, I want, I didn't, but I wanted to just keep pausing and rewinding and pausing and rewinding that little section just to be like, okay, what exactly are they doing here? So. It was hard, it was hard for me to tell, honestly. And I think that's, that's real movie, movie magic there is, is, is not being able to kind of, I mean. Yeah, because it, it's not, and, and again, it doesn't do it justice to people that haven't seen this movie, but it's not like someone's dressed up in a mascot like the Stanford tree or something. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like they have a little cardboard cutouts that they're carrying around. I mean, it looks like they're carrying decent sized trees and they're just kind of like, like engulfed in these trees and they're just running towards the, the castle. It's crazy. Yeah. That's, crazy that's action. one of my top, top favorite parts of the film. Yeah. I liked um, that a lot. I also, my, one of my favorites is I really love the whole, uh, the guys aren't convinced, but he's going to rally them around to follow him. Like the rah, rah speech. And it's the, he's like, does, does the men come out and all this? And then there's this long shot of Mafune and he's just running and it's a real low angle 
And it's just a low angle wide shot that we hardly ever see in movies like this because typically it's like, you know, you have your person and he's, he's filling up the frame and he's, um, you know, looking very heroic and you're shooting him a little lower than normal to give him that sort of bigger than life stature. And this is like, he's, he looks like he's about a foot tall and it's this really long shot of him and he's kind of running and it's this low angle and it's just, it was like, I don't know. I was, it, it went against any sort of instinct I would have as to what to do in that moment. And I was like, whoa, this looks way different than what I expect. And this looks tremendous. So, and that was just like a I, little, that's just a little, it. well, that's just a little piece in the whole, uh, like toward the, toward the end battle with the whole, uh, with the forest and all that kind of stuff. So it's just a little, uh, brief. I mean, it's probably the whole, the whole little, scene or the whole little shot i'm talking about is maybe like five to ten seconds it's not a real it's not a real long thing but i for whatever reason it really stuck out to me i'm gonna have to look it up and and rewatch it when we're done recording but so that was a that was a really good one i also want to talk about the choices that i that i had alluded to earlier so when i think about Macbeth, and maybe it's because i'm um i'm partial to (laughs) <laughs> contrary to what mr creasy might hope i'm i'm partial to uh to Macbeth, the 2015 version with michael fassbender not the scotland pa oh he didn't like that oh no well he he loves himself some scotland pa which is uh Macbeth recreated in a fast food restaurant Right, Basically. I do. I do like that version. Yes, as well. and so him and I will, because uh, I told him that I watched Throne of Blood, and I said, "Well, it's no Scotland, PA," and he's like, "Well, what is really, you know?" But, All right. Um, but he, uh, and so he he turned me on to that to that movie. But one of the things that I am kind of what I, what I was kind of surprised by, I guess, is the degree in which they decided to have Mufune look scared look sort of have he had like no sense of real authority or no real sense of ruthlessness i kind of figured it was going to be mifune and it was going to be this i'm a big actor i'm going to chew this up and i'm going to be this defiant like no you know uh i've got control of everything you can't stop me that sort of traditional typical kind of mad sort of king that you see in a lot of different movies to where it's like, no, no, I have the absolute power. You can't stop me. That kind of thing. When his men turn against him there at the end, but instead he was freaked out and he was just, you know, going side to side, almost slapstick dodging these arrows. And, and there's a whole thing about how the, a lot of the arrows were, uh, were practical and, about, you know, what he was supposed to be doing to signal that he was all right and that, that they could string them up again on the next, uh, the next string and all that sort of thing. But, but, uh, I was, I would, I don't know. I guess I was surprised. I was surprised in the fact that I thought he was going to be this ruthless sort of, um, how dare you turn against me kind of a thing. And instead he was so scared by his men and he was so scared at what he had become. To where it was, it was really startling for me, and I, I really kind of appreciated that choice because you don't see the real tender side or the real scared, like broken no. side of Mafune very often. And or so I, I was would just, even say Macbeth. Or really. Macbeth, I mean, yeah. It's just a choice that I think writer and actor maybe both 
had a hand in and had I think it was, been. I think it's, I think it just feels totally right because of, you know, where he ends up. I mean, it's almost like, oh, this is, this is inevitable. Like once you see that, that spider spirit, it's like it's on from here. There's no, you are now put on the path. There's no stopping it. You know, you're going to kill these people or you're going to take part in this murder. You know, you know, you're going to eventually, you know, rise to power. You know, you, you know that you know, it's just like one thing after the other. It's, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. It, it felt like to me, it felt like the guy that, had the idea of inevitability in the back of his mind, but still had the pretense that they could make their own choices. And so then when that choice would come up and it's like, oh, wait, this is what I was destined to do. And then he, you know, does whatever he's supposed to do at whatever moment in the movie. It's, it's like, it's almost like it surprises him. Like, holy shit. Like that person is continuing to be right. Like the spirit is still right. And it was like shocking. And then, Obviously, once he gets towards the end and it doesn't, you know, the prophecy is doesn't doesn't turn out real good for him. He's um, he's more scared than, I guess, angry or defiant about it. And I think that that was the thing that I really took away. It wasn't like it wasn't like this. I was waiting for him to be like, bullshit. You know, you're not taking this from me. This is mine. You know, this is mine now. Like the prophecy it has been nonsense from the beginning this is what I'm going to do. You can't stop me kind of a thing is what I expected. And instead he was just like, Oh, I'm, I'm effed. You know, it's kind of like, uh Oh, like I'm in deep shit. She was right. Think, yeah. It, it was one of those things. I mean, especially as it goes through his neck, which is also oh, yeah, that really was crazy good. Crazy good. I, it's, I, I, I can see kind of how they did it, you know, but I don't really care. Like yeah. I just, I, oh, yeah. I like, it's it's the meaning behind it and, and and that effect and stuff like that. So I'm willing to obviously forgive any bad special effect so long as it's used in the correct and wonderful context that it's being used like here. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that I just, it makes sense. It doesn't have to, I mean, it, it, and honestly, in some ways you could, you could get away with it to, if it was made today you get away with it looking stylized. Oh, sure, yeah. And stuff like that. Like, there's just all sorts of things you could say with this. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's really cool that, that you know, all this attention is being brought to um, to this type of storytelling and culture, uh, but in just a completely different culture that it spawned in. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, and, and you got two legendary storytellers, you know, one passing the torch to the other in some ways. Mm-hmm. And, and this isn't even his only uh, uh, Shakespeare that he works on, is it? it doesn't he do uh, Ron? Yeah. Based off yep. of something? We'll talk about Ron in uh, a couple weeks, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's I mean, that's a whole other segment. But, um, yeah, I just, it all just builds up to that excitement. I mean, that's what an exciting conclusion, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for it all to just end up the way it does. I guess I don't really have much in the way to say of like, you know, much more to say in terms of like where it goes as story wise, since I've kind of already always known the story. Yeah. I guess I, I, we've spent most of the time and, 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 you know, for good reason, uh, spent most of the time just talking about how it's told uh-huh. and, and, and not just in the way that it's written, but how the actors make this, their certain choices. Uh, to tell the story. And, 
and yeah, it, it like who who could have thought up other than uh, someone like Kurosawa? Because um, I, what I, what is it like in the play in in the Macbeth play? Like, is it do, do, do all of his uh, his um, men turn their swords on him or something? Like, I don't even remember. I don't think I don't think it's like that. I thought it was. I thought he led them into battle and he fell. But I could be I I could be completely wrong. I think it's been since. Uh, probably high school. So that's like almost. It, it's almost uh more disappointing to say that. Oh yeah, and they all listened to him, and they were led into battle, and he fell. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost more disappointing that way, and it's way more dramatic and scarier. Uh, in the way that that uh Kurosawa decides to tell it here, just just for the simple fact that that like they are not going to listen to a single word that he says. In fact, an arrow is going to fly right by him, mm-hmm. and then it's just going to be nothing but uh, pain until the end. You know, you running away from from uh, from certain doom. Yeah, from arrows from your own men. Yeah, the, nothing worse than that, right? Like the I don't even you... think they got in. I don't even think they got in the build or the the other troops or anything got in the building. No, I don't think so. Because I mean, ultimately, if you were a general and that's what you're like, you know, that's where he was basically at when the movie starts. What's worse than having your own men turn against you and kill you? Right? I mean, that would be, that's, that's the worst thing is, is you got to rule all these people and then those are the people that took you down. That's, that's no good. You've (laughs) gotten rid of pretty much all of the people that would be your allies. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was of your own doing. And And that's another like Shakespearean type of, of fall is, is usually your death is of your own doing. Uh, if you're a main character. Uh, and, you know, it, it's just one of those things that you, you get tied up in your own mess, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it is King Lear is what Ron is based on. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So. Now that play I'm not as familiar no, with. No, so I, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm familiar with that at all. So that'll definitely yeah. be interesting. So we'll have to see about that. All right. Well, is there anything else about, uh, about Throne of Blood that you wanted to mention that we haven't mentioned? Or anything like um that? specifically I got once again it's the it's the Criterion Blu-ray. Hmm. And so of course everything is is handled exactly the way it should be to the nth degree mm-hmm. and and all of it you know it comes with a little booklet that I actually didn't crack open this time. Um but uh it's got some essays in there and it talks about the 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 Shakespearean side of things and then the actual making of these films like a nice little essay on uh introducing um, Shakespeare to uh, uh, modern Asian cinema. Nice. Um, that uh, that I think is is going to be really good. And also uh, the special features. This same uh, documentary keeps coming up on a lot of these. It's uh, the Akira Kurosawa. It is wonderful to create, which is a very Japanese title. It is wonderful to create. <laughs> um, but. Uh, specifically each one, each time the documentary comes up, I think it's like a cert, it's a specific part of the whole documentary. It just breaks it down movie by movie. Oh, okay. So I don't know if, yeah, so, yeah. Hmm, interesting. I watched this on, uh, a new wish, a new wish site called Filmstruck. And they have the, they have what was formerly on Hulu, where it was the Criterion Collection. And, so you don't have obviously every Criterion film, but you have a good chunk, and you have a whole lot of films on there that are 
that are from the Criterion Collection. And Kurosawa has probably 15 to 20 movies that are I'm, on there. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to get it. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to have to sign up for it. If, if only to uh, not piss off my wife every time I buy a new Kurosawa <laughs> Blu-ray. I mean, every single time I buy one, and she's she's like, "Oh, another one," and and I'm just like, "Yep," and I'm just yep. like I just another I just love one. these so much, and uh and they don't go to waste, obviously, because mm-hmm. we're we're making really good shows from it. But it is one of those things where I I I'm learning quickly that you can run out of space in a lot of different <laughs> when you buy physical media, and yeah. some of them are just so. Wonderful. Like, I can't imagine not owning the physical thing, but it is really nice, I'm sure, to have all of, you know, Anya Zvarda's library in front of you, all of Kurosawa, all of, uh, well, it's select Kubrick films. Yeah, you know. it's select of the, of them. And, and you never know, like, you never know when some of them are going to kind of come and go, which is kind of the risk that you run with anything streaming. Yeah. So, but, it, but yeah, it's, it's something that I've tried out. Um, I did my two, my first two weeks free and now I, I'm paying for my first month and, and it's got a whole bunch of little, uh, criterion channel shows and a bunch of double features for Friday nights. And one of the ones that was a double feature the other day was, uh, um, again, Mr. Creasy. It was, uh, Cat People and the Return of the Cat People, or whatever the sequel. Yeah. Called. Oh, that's Will Pfeiffer too. Yeah. He loves Cat People. <laughs> um, and, and so that was that was on there for double features for uh, a Friday. Do they ever lose? Uh, like, just I'm just curious. Maybe 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 you can't answer this, but like, do they ever lose? Um, uh, uh, like you know how I'm like, oh, it left Netflix this last month. It's not there anymore. Oh you yeah, can't watch, you can't yep. watch it. Is it? Oh, it does. Yeah, they they out. do that. They do say uh, you have a little section, and it's a little bit spelled out like um, Netflix, where you have your different categories and that kind of thing. But you have a section where it says uh, where it says what's leaving and the date that it's leaving. Right, because some of the Criterion stuff is not only is it hard to find, um, but it's just it's just plain out of print. Like there's just mm-hmm. no way to get it other than other than uh, you know Filmstruck. So um, I know in particular um, I was trying to watch. It was like oh my gosh, like 12 hour film. Uh, was it called Shayo? 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 I might I be saying that wrong. I'm me. sorry if I if I messed it up or whatever. <laughs> uh, whoever's listening and is just like, no, it's called this. Uh, but it's the uh, Holocaust documentary, oh. and it's ju- and it's just a really long. 12 hour i mean it's it it was going to be painful uh but man uh yeah it, it i i never got to finish it but it was one of those things just like this might be a film struck type of thing where mm-hmm. if it's on there that way i don't have to buy 12 hour discs you know oh, like yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. very large that yeah, that it, also yeah. seems like a one-timer on a movie that the, that would be that yeah long, you don't want right? to sit there with a with a DVD of something that you're like, well, that was a trip, and well, I guess I'm done watching that. Yeah, you know, put it back on the shelf. <laughs> I mean, I own movies to where I own them, and I'll probably never watch them again. You know, it's it's. Like, I definitely have that because it's it's ones where it's like, oh, that was horrific or gruesome, and that was troubling, and and it. Would, I'm getting better. I'm getting know, better about that. It'd be like maybe yes. I didn't need to buy. Maybe I didn't need Requiem for a Dream. Maybe I didn't need to see that again. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, 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 I got that problem. Although, although I don't know if we'll clear this up as a recording or not, but uh, 
he was also mentioned just a minute ago. Will Pfeiffer and I have been discussing uh dis- discussing some Darren Aronofsky Darren Aronofsky uh potential episodes coming up. Ooh. Because I do know that he enjoys himself the wrestler and I do, uh, I do too. And so we may be uh discussing some of those movies. That's quite a film. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I haven't, I'm going to, I haven't I'm going seen to have to Mother, catch up. so Yeah, I'm gonna have to catch up on that one too. Um Yeah, that's that's a whole nother yeah, that's a whole nother thing. Just physical media and, and having that stuff around and and losing space, you really start to eventually uh start to value you know how much room all this stuff takes up mm-hmm. and really start to I had to take a long hard look when I was moving what what's going to stay what's going to go and um it's hard it's hard to get cuz I mean a movie like Requiem for a Dream you're right will you ever watch this again or is this just a one timer that's just like well <laughs> you, you know you're also describing uh <laughs> a theme idea that Rachel and I have had since the show started in 2012 Right. And we have never got around to doing it because it's like one timers. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like I don't know, man. I don't. I don't want to see Requiem for a Dream again. Like, We're just gonna be. Yeah, you're just gonna be sitting there, and it's gonna like it, it's just like watching those one timers when you when you had that that uh, Holocaust documentary sat on my uh, on my uh, TV stand for about a month before I went. All right, I'm not doing anything tonight. I guess I'm just gonna finally sit down and finally watch this thing and you have to build up to it mm-hmm. you know and, and get your get your body kind of ready for this type of sadness because mm. and 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 that that's exactly what the theme of this of of what you and rachel are going to be doing is pretty much just like well we've got we gotta like stomach this now yeah. and it's just like you know it, it's all i i was just t- i was just describing uh someone who hadn't seen schindler's list oh yeah i was, I was trying to describe that film in a certain way today and it is one of those I feel like one timers where there's images in that film I will never forget, mm-hmm. and I was shown at a very young age in school. We watched Schindler's List. What what grade and, do you remember? Uh, we were a little bit older, but it was still grade school. I think it might have been seventh or eighth grade. Okay, yeah, because I literally, as of recording, started teaching the Holocaust today, and it's it's a debate in my mind if I'm doing Schindler's List, if I'm doing The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, if I'm doing. You know what? What movie I'm going to do to cap off the unit? And and the so. image I I I'll, I will say the image is the coat. Mm-hmm. It's the little red coat mm-hmm. that you see in the film. That is just like, I mean, spoiler alert for a film that's more than probably it's almost it's like thirty 20, years old now. 30, yeah, yeah. Something like that. yeah, it's it's almost twenty years old now. Uh, that's so crazy. Um, but it's it's uh it's the coat. You know, little girl you know, in the background, you know, wearing a little red coat. And eventually, uh, later on in the film, the characters walk past a pile of bodies. And you, of course you see a little red coat sticking out of the, mm. out of the pile of bodies. And, um, that is something that I know we're talking, we were supposed to be talking about throwing blood, but like, if you want to talk <laughs> about cinematic language, yeah, that's something that can only be told cinematically, uh-huh. like done it done in that way. Like maybe a comic, maybe definitely something visual, but like done so well in the style of of cinema and showing that rather than you know and and it was so subtle and it blew my it blew my eighth grader head off like it was just so I was just so struck by it, it mm-hmm. it's it's haunted me forever so 
Um, yeah, one-timers, man. Uh, but I think these films, since we're on the subject of Kurosawa films and stuff like that, I don't necessarily think of these as one-timers. No, I don't think they're so. Because not, they're not hard to get through. Some of them are a little bit more easier to take than others. I think more of the adventure films are more fun to watch, like... Well, like your, your Jimbo or, or, you know, like those, those are like Westerns. Akira you know? was tough. Akira was tough for me. I mean, I, I loved that movie, but it was, it was hard to get through. Right. Oh, absolutely. And so that, but yeah, that's, that would be a good example of one that might come out of my DVD case every once in a while. But like, I can totally stick in like Hidden Fortress. Oh yeah. As like a oh, fun yeah. adventure film. It's just like Star Wars almost. It's mm. just, it's this epic battle, like, you know, even something like Seven Samurai is mm-hmm. kind of like a Western or, or Yojimbo or something like that. And, and, you know, next, next film that we're going to be watching. Yes. Hopefully. I'm assuming. One. Oh, our next yeah. one. Yes. It's a sequel. It's the first time, uh, I'm guessing it's the first time he's done basically a direct sequel. I have no idea. I'll have to look that, that up. I, guess, I, I yeah, mean, I'll I could to, be a complete fool about what that is. Are but you yes. telling me that every film isn't linked to each film? <laughs> it doesn't have uh, his own world. <laughs> yeah, where where uh, Mifune just plays the same character and goes throughout these entire. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I'm I'm guessing though. <sighs> dies too much. Just, just not used to this like standalone storytelling. Yeah, I'm used it'd be to a lot better cinema. Serialized cinema, cinema. That was something that I never would have thought been a thing, and now I just that we are. Uh, we're in that, we're, isn't it weird? It's and, very and like strange. you were into comic books, yeah, ten ten years ago. Oh shit, yeah, f- fifteen years ago, maybe even longer than that. Yeah, and like my, now my my grandma knows who who Rocket Raccoon is. Like, yeah. isn't that that like freaks me out? Yeah. a little bit. We're talking like, like the fact that we're talking like thirty thirty plus years. I've been into comic books. Yeah, and you like and like the the let's let me just tell everybody like. I don't know. This story has been told before on, on another podcast, but like Zach and I like bonded over having this like, s- like pseudo like knowledge of a certain thing. Like I, I was, he, he was, a, it's kind of funny because it kind of ages Zach a little bit, but he was <laughs> a substitute teacher in my class, like in the class that he was teaching in my high school. Mm-hmm. He's six, he's six years older than me, but like, like, the fact that he was in there and he he was like trying to all right everyone keep quiet and you know whatever and I'm like not doing homework I'm doodling and stuff and like I I had this picture of Rorschach that I drew from Watchmen oh nice and Watchmen is just I mean it's it means something different today it just does mm. you know with the with the Zack Snyder films coming out and it's just it's seen as a different uh, thing but yeah but back then that was <laughs> it was just a book it was just uh-huh. a graphic novel not a lot of people talked about it outside of the comics community. No one really knew who Rorschach was. And I had this drawing of Rorschach. I wonder if I still have it. Um, and he, and like there was just like, there was this connection that like immediately he's like, I know what this is. I know who this is and you know who this is. And this is unspoken like we're in a club type of thing, like of people who know what this crap is. <laughs> so, but now we live in a world where it's like Ready Player One where everyone huh. knows all yes. that stuff. And it just, I haven't seen it. I'm not going, I love Spielberg and I, and I, he's a master and stuff like that. I'm not going to, you know, say anything bad about the film, but every time I hear like, like a, the premise of it and like, it's got this meshed up with this mesh, it just sounds dumb. Mm. <laughs> it just sounds like we mix a whole bunch of stuff together so that you would buy it because yes. we know, we know these things can't stand on their own. <laughs> so we combine them all. Yep. All when these you, great tastes. When you don't have enough of a, 
narrative thread where you have to rely upon nostalgia. And what's that Iron Giant doing shooting a gun? I thought he hated guns. Anyways. <laughs> now, don't, don't you be getting Will Pfeiffer on the Iron Giant kick. Because there's a recorded version of him and I talking and trying not to get all teary-eyed about the yes. Iron Giant. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, my goodness. I, uh, I love that episode. The Mr. Klein and I, I don't know if Ernest Klein and I would be pals, uh, the writer of Ready Player One. Um, oh. You can listen to me and Sean Pryor talk about a, um, we talked about two different video game movies. Uh, they were both documentaries. And, and Ernest, I keep wanting to call him Roger for some reason. Ernest Klein shows up in one of the documentaries and I dislike few, few people more than Ernest Klein. <laughs> In that you movie. Popcorn at the screen. Oh my god. I hate it. I told him, I was like, this was, this movie was like 75 minutes long and I barely made it through him for like the first 10, the, he's in it for like 10 minutes and I almost turned it off. I was like, I don't know Do you if remember I can the handle docs? this. It's Atari The End, I think is what it's called. Oh wow. Okay. And it's on Netflix, I believe. Um, and then the other one we watched was, uh, The King of Kong. That's a, more oh, see those. One. I I meant I keep meaning to see that one. Yeah, and that I know good. more story has developed from that. Story. Yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy like none of what's in the show is really relevant anymore. Kind yeah. of. Now now that it's kind of been revealed that yeah yeah that Billy Mitchell is a cheater yeah. and all that stuff. But yeah, that that's a good documentary. And this Atari, I think it's called Atari at the End, but it's about um, ET and the conspiracy theory of E.T. Oh, yes. drowning I've heard. Atari and all that stuff. I've heard of that, yeah. And then there's a big landfill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They go oh, to the landfill. And see, the th- okay, let me just get into it. So the thing that pisses sure, me yes. off about it, the thing that pisses me off is you have Ernest Klein and he has no reason to go to this landfill. He has no reason to be in the movie. All he does is he shows up to see if he can borrow his real fucking DeLorean that he has from George R.R. R. Martin, of all people. And then he puts this fake E.T. in the front seat of this actual DeLorean, and they drive out to the landfill. And then they have some interviews with him, and it's just he's basically talking about how he's just the smartest, best guy around, and about how he was the picked-on kid in high school, and now he's, like, the cool guy. And I was like, the fuck you are a cool guy. You're still an asshole. Like, <laughs> the fuck you are. You're just, like, so overcompensating for the fact that you have so little self-esteem. I don't know. I just really didn't like him. Yeah, no. And the I, fact I, that George R.R. R. Martin was in it, I was like, get back there and write your goddamn book, George. Like, yeah, what are you doing? I don't want, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So there, I, there, there, it, it, it's, like, it's almost like um, uh, design. Mm. It's it's almost it, well I don't have to say it, it feels like it was designed it, that mm. it, that makes it sound like all of this wasn't like I bet we could get all the nerds to love this if we put George R. R. Martin in it or something like that. Well, in the documentaries from a few years ago too, so it's not like they're. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure about the it compared to the release schedule of Game of Thrones, but the books were definitely out, but it wasn't like a global sensation or anything. I don't think. I could be completely wrong on that. But yeah, right. and what's funny is this will actually come out before that recording, which is weird, but whatever. So people can get a preview of me being pissed and and <sighs> Sean being like, oh, well, I guess he was kind of an asshole. And then later texting me and saying, you were right. I watched it again. He's terrible. <laughs> so that's funny. <laughs> a little peek I'll behind to, the curtain. I'll defi- I, will, I will definitely watch that, though. That does sound like something I would be interested in. Yeah. 
there's a ton of like uh, video essay type of stuff on games too that I've been I've been really getting into lately. Yeah. Um, that are that are, you know, um, you know, we can get into the plug the plug part of the show later. But like, I also do a, a video game podcast. Well, as go well. ahead and do it now. Yeah, tell me about. Well, it. yeah, I was gonna say I do I do uh, co op mode reviews uh, with uh, with uh, a couple of my friends from college, and um, we just finished a. Uh, uh, the Dishonored series, which has been okay. out for a little while. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I, this was back when I had all the time in the world to play games and stuff like that, being off work and all that. So mm-hmm. I was just having a great time just going through the entire catalog of these games and being able to like fully have like an informed opinion about, you know, the entire storyline and stuff like that. And what's one of the more interesting things I've noticed when playing some of these games is a lot of the narrative is getting taken a little bit more seriously nowadays. Now there's some games where they're totally not and they're not supposed to. And it's like, I love the idea of like what Bethesda is doing with like the new doom games and how like, yeah, there's like a story, but like, it's very minimal. Like it's just, it's, it's doom. Like you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna shoot a bunch of demon things and who cares? <laughs> I, one of my, it, this doesn't really spoil anything for you, Eric. So if you ever play this game someday, but essentially the, I love the opening scene of that, of this game where, you know, you're, you're given like a gun and, and, uh, all of a sudden a scientist comes on the computer and is just like, all right, hello, my name is doctor, whatever, you know, you're gonna have to go to the place where I'm telling you, and blah blah blah, and like the protagonist this is all in first person. Mm-hmm. The protagonist, your character, just takes the computer and just pushes it away and just keeps walking. <laughs> and I can't think of a better way to just be like, yeah, screw the story, let's start shooting. <laughs> and it's just like it's such a good moment because it knows what it is, and it knows that it's doom. You don't mm-hmm. give a crap about anything except blowing the crap out of stuff. Yeah, really. And it's all cartoony and messy, and it's just gross. But it's but it, it it was fantastically made and such a fast pace in the way it feels like they took Doom straight out of the '90s and put it right here with all the updated graphics and stuff like that. But we take deep delves into the games, and it takes a lot more time <laughs> than to just sit down and watch a two-hour movie. <laughs> That's right, um, I bet. So remind like, people of where you, they can uh, where they can check that out. Oh, this is at at co-op mo- co-op mode reviews. On Twitter, and then you'll be able to find uh, the links from there on the, on the Twitter. Um, but yeah, that essentially, yeah, we take deep dives the way we do with these movies. So honestly, these movies are kind of like a vacation for me mm-hmm. instead of instead of you know instead of these long these yeah. light these lightweight directors that we've discussed. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. We always spend, I oh okay. We say this every time. I got we the obligatory. <laughs> holy cow! Do, am I totally not qualified to talk about? These uh, directors and their works on on the show, and and feel like I have any sort of authority on them. But in some ways, I mean, with the handful of people that we've mentioned, that's really it in terms of the people I know who watch these films. Yeah. And so, like personally, well, so, I, I mean, mean, I guess technically in my life, I am the, you and I are the people that are uh, qualified to talk about it because I certainly <laughs> don't know anybody else. That's that, right. Well, we haven't watched a film from, and and for people who haven't maybe listened, we've we've talked about obviously uh, Kurosawa, and this is our second go around with him. But we've done um, we've done Stanley Kubrick as well as well as the Coen brothers. So if uh, like we haven't 
watched one of the movies and then we haven't been like, oh, that wasn't very good. What was the hype about that? Like that movie sucks, right? We haven't really done that. I my can't think of any. I can't think of any that we've that we've watched to this point, and I've been kind of have not just seriously loved it. Yeah. Um. There's oh, and and the thing is nowadays, I'll be honest. Uh, this, it's not necessarily these films that let me say this. I think this about a lot of movies. Let's take Ready Player One, for example. Mm-hmm. I know when I go in there, and I, I am going to watch it someday. Mm-hmm. It'll it'll probably come in Netflix, or I'll probably get it on disc or something like that and watch it that way in, in my house or whatever. Or, you know, I may get invited out to the theater sometime. But there's something... I, I've definitely crossed a barrier for the better of, you know, in college, my eyes were opened. I thought all it was only Tarantino. You know, as, as in terms of like movies and, and it doesn't get any better than 300 and Sin City and stuff uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh. I mean, those were my first like rated R films that I could go see by myself and just enjoy and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Like when I got to college, my eyes were open to a bunch of different things and it's almost like the pendulum swung the entire opposite way. I threw my scarf over my shoulder and fixed my <laughs> beret and said, I watch films. <laughs> I don't watch movies. I go to the theater. I go to the theater to watch films. <laughs> only only with subtitles in black and white. But you know what? That's fine too. But mm. now I've gotten to the point where I will put on some and I don't I don't want to call Ready Player One trash or anything like that, but like I will put on maybe more crowd pleaser movies or stuff that probably isn't necessarily targeted to me. And I will I will get plenty of enjoyment out of watching stuff because being a part of so many different productions over the years and seeing that stuff and, and just the half the fun is watching a production that you don't really have that much invested in, but appreciate what it took to get there. Like I can watch those Marvel films and just be like, how did they make those? But I'm, I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of our buddies, you know, that I'm going to see this weekend at C2E2 or whatever, they're all excited for Avengers. I could not be like more, not disinterested, but I just don't, I, I'm not, I'm not excited. I'm more excited to see Isle of Dogs. I can't wait. It's not around here. Where the hell is my Isle of Dogs? Where is it? But That's hilarious. I just I get so much more excited about stuff. But I also realize some stuff is not marketed to me. Yes. And I also and, and so there's an appreciation there. So I don't immediately say Twilight and all that is bullcrap. It's not you know I'm not going to say <laughs> that because people worked on those films and there is an art to them and there is something to appreciate in every film. It just may not be for you. Sure. So I can now watch films now with a little bit more of a mind of mindset of, well, you know, I didn't really care for it, but I'm also not 40 and female and a mother, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so it's possible that this wasn't for me or in terms of ready player one, a 15 year old boy, right? you know, or, or the Avengers. Like I know people just gobble up, you know, Suicide Squad and all those things and, and I and I'm just I'm not looking for teen power fantasies anymore. Yeah, still haven't seen I'm look, it. I'm looking for animated dogs on a <laughs> island of garbage. <laughs> you know what's Damn funny it. is that one of the things that has definitely happened, especially recently, is I'll watch and appreciate the Marvel Cinematic Universe through my nine year old because yes. she loved ant-man it's magic to her and it was like she that's knew, why it's fun yeah she was just like there's a wasp like i could be the wasp and i was like oh my god you know it's yes, just like this is perfect. holy shit 
And so she's excited about that. She is, uh, she, we went and saw Black Panther and she loved that. Yeah. And I was like, well, what was the thing that you liked the most about it? And she's like, well, I really liked it that there was a lot of girls and they were the ones that were protecting the boys. That's perfect. And I was I like, mean, that, absolutely right. <laughs> that is that's, the absolutely that's, right answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and we're getting to a point now where, there's getting to be so much uh, good representation in mm-hmm. film that I feel like, I, I mean, there's still improvements that need to get made, sure. trust me, <laughs> especially on the gender front. Sure. Uh, but um, we are at least acknowledging it and they're moving forward with different ideas and stuff like that. And I just can't wait because, you know, bringing up children, you know, with this type of media and having them go back and appreciate all the old ones and, and whatnot, like it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun to be able to make draw these comparisons and have them, you know, grow that way. But you're right. I think watching it through the lens of a nine year old is gonna be a lot different and probably more enjoyable because you get to watch them flip out at movie magic. I mean, when 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 we sit there and go, oh, I know how that's done. Oh, that was just done <laughs> with a computer or yeah. something like that. You know, you do. You lose the magic. You, yeah. Once you start to read and watch documentaries on how the sausage gets made and stuff like that, that's when it kind of loses a little bit's luster. And that's when you get more appreciation for maybe writing and mm-hmm. building a scene and how characters interact and stuff like that in, in more complex situations. Well, Whereas she you know, just, making something explode and fly through something. It's just, yeah. Uh, she just had the Luke and Leia reveal. We haven't got all the way through. That's uh, right. We haven't got all the way through the last movie yet. Uh, because we tried watching it pretty late. And so, uh, I let her go to bed before it was over, but she, she got to that Luke Leia reveal and was like, wait a minute, they're brother and sister? And she was just like dumbfounded for a little while. So that was, that was quite a thing. So. Well, especially anyway. for not ever, yeah, especially the way like, you know, both move, both first two films don't really, you know, they don't really allude to anything like that. In fact, they allude <laughs> right. to quite the opposite. That's one yeah, of the reasons certainly why do, yes. felt very weird. <laughs> yeah. They certainly do, yes. Okay, so if uh, if people have any comments for us or suggestions or maybe they should say, guys, uh, you sure rambled a lot on that one. <laughs> if they have anything like that that they wanted to say to us, they could get a hold of me. I'm at EricWilliams79 over at Twitter. You could also email the show we're at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com, or you can get a hold of us over at Twitter, or we're at plainlabelpod. You can also uh, use Facebook or Instagram and find us. Just search for Plain Label Podcast. You'll find us over there. If you wanted to help us out, you could head over to the show notes, and you could uh, click on our little Amazon wish list there. We have things like, I don't know, maybe getting Rachel an actual microphone that makes the uh, <laughs> podcast sound good, maybe. Aww. Maybe maybe that's my passive aggressive little uh, digger here when she's not on the show. Maybe we could get her some uh maybe we can get her some headphones to use instead of just going on the old uh the old MacBook uh speakers, maybe. Maybe wow. that's maybe that's what we could do. Anyway, so if you wanted to help us out and purchase some of those things that I could then gift to her because she doesn't know anything about what's going on about the show, you could do that over there. So you could get a hold of Ben at his game show that once again it is where at Twitter, Ben? At co-op mode reviews and then also pictures mm, with the pictures. Yes. So at PWP, uh, wait, yeah. Oh yeah. PWP, um, podcast.com or gosh, at Twitter. At Twitter. <laughs> so yeah. yes. And then, um, and then my personal one is at Ben Teed. 
Mm-hmm. And then you'll see in the show notes how to spell it because it's a lot of vowels all pushed <laughs> together. <laughs> Absolutely. And what was the most recent uh, pictures in pictures that you did? Uh, so that one we just finished um, Omega the Unknown. Yes, that's right. Uh, that's been out for a little bit, though. Or at least we read that one a little while ago. So we're our next month is going to be uh, Pogo Volume 1. It's the the first first volume of the complete strips from Fanographics through the wild blue yonder mm. by uh, Walt Kelly. I'll have to listen so. listen and learn. That is an un- yes. that is a blind spot for me. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, Ben, and thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with another Kurosawa film. And this time we're talking about the first sequel that we know of. It is Sanjuro. 